Good evening, everybody. Um, we thank God for today. Let's get right into our study for tonight. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this evening for an opportunity to come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to your people today. I pray for understanding. I thank you for the spirit of the instructor that is in the house. Guide my thoughts, inspire my speech. We pray that most importantly, may this word be hidden in our hearts as it's written on the tables of our hearts so that we will be doers of this word. We thank you that as we listen to this word, may every form of deliverance be available to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been on a brief hiatus from the book of Romans, I think for a period of seven weeks. And in between seven weeks, um, a lot has gone on. Um, the first week we talked about tanks because the Sunday before was Pentecost Sunday. So in commemoration of that whole week, we decided to look at the dicey and the thorny issue of tongues. What does the Bible say about it? And then the next five weeks were a series of messages on stewardship. Uh, we were very good. Um, Pastor Robert took three of them and I, I took two. And last week, which was the seventh week, Pastor Robert talked on evangelism. He gave us practical tidbits on how we can evangelize. And if you listen to the session very carefully, he made evangelism very unnerving. Because sometimes, it's not that people don't want to do evangelism. It's just the nervousness attached to it. And I think the reason why it's also nerve-wracking is because the devil has made it so. <laughs> the Bible says that anything that is of fear is not of the Lord. Uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Love. He's given us love, power, and of a sound mind. So whenever we have these inhibitions about talking to someone about Christ, that is not of God in the first place. So... Uh, if you did listen to last week's session, he really unnerved us and gave us very practical tidbits on how to evangelize. So uh, that is in between the seven-week span between part nine and today. And uh, Today we are going to do part 10 of the book of Romans, and today we are on chapter 7. Amen. If you do remember, the last time I, I, I treated chapter 6, that was 7 weeks ago, or even 10 weeks ago, because I took 2 weeks to finish chapter 6, I said chapter 6 will not be complete without reading chapter 7. And for you to understand chapter 7, you will have to look at the background of chapter 6. Amen. So, let's start today. Chapter 7. We are looking at verses 1 to 6. And I'm reading. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law, or, I'm sorry, is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, that's to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Amen. So, for us to really understand chapter 7, chapter 7 is a continuation of chapter 6, like I said. So for us to get concepts of chapter 7, let me read from verse 14 of chapter 6, and then we will begin to explain chapter 7. 
So verse 14 of chapter 6, the, the previous chapter. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? By the end of those things, which is death. But now having been set free from sin and having come to slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So now, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So do we all get the picture? So Paul was talking right into chapter 7 from chapter 6 about we are no longer under the law. And if we are no longer under the law, sin's dominion ends. We are also not under the reign of sin. The only way for us to be under the reign of sin is for us to be under the law. And we've gone through the six chapters systematically and we've talked about the law. Amen. The law was the commandments that was given to Moses by God. Alright, so Moses went to Mount Sinai. He had tablets. He downloaded from the cloud what God gave to him. So, so Mo- Mo- Moses is the first person to be a tablet guy. He has stones of tablets and he downloaded from the cloud. There the Ten Commandments, that's how it came. God spoke through a cloud. Moses downloaded from the cloud to the tablets. Just like what we are doing today. So, the law came. And it wasn't just ten. Ten were the moral laws. But if you look through the Bible... It's 613. So there were more laws written. The moral law were written on stones of tablets. Then the other laws were written in what was called the book of the law. Okay, so 603 laws were in the book of the law. 10 were the moral law. And the moral law represents the whole law. All right. So the Bible lets us know that when we are under that we are still under the dominion of sin. We haven't experienced the end of the reign of sin. For us to experience the end of the reign of sin in our lives, we have to be under grace. And when we are under grace, we are not under the law. So you can't be under two. You have to decide. Either you are under the law or you are under grace. You can't be under grace and then be under the law. It's virtually impossible. So you have to be under one. If you are under the law, the Bible lets us know that sin will have dominion over you. If you are under grace. And what is grace? Grace is accepting Christ's gifts of salvation, which he gave to mankind by dying on the cross to end the reign of sin. That is grace. So the Bible says that when you are under grace, when you understand that, then sin will not have dominion over you. So now, Paul goes into chapter 7 and uses the analogy of marriage. So, chapter 7 doesn't talk about marriage, even though you hear a lot of marriage there. It's not really talking about marriage. Paul is just using the legal term of marriage 
to talk about something about the law and New Testament Christian living. And Paul, Paul let us know that when someone is married, you can't have another spouse unless your spouse is dead. To death do you part. Because when you have another spouse, it's, it's, it's seen as adultery. Spiritual implications is adultery. Legal implications here is seen as bigamy. Now you can't, you can't marry and then go and marry someone. You could, you could be jailed for that. It's a jailable offense, right? So it, it has implications. So Paul is saying that for one to experience a new spouse, it has to happen on the death of a spouse, or let's say the annulment, total annulment of a marriage in, in that context. So Paul is also letting us know that we are dead to the law. And how did we become dead to the law? We became dead to the law through the body of Christ. So as Christians, the reason why we are no longer under the law is because there has been a death. Through the body of Christ. And the body of Christ was sacrificed on the cross to make atonement for our sins. So that now we can live for Christ. Now when you see the word married to another, married to him. Many people normally take this scripture and say, oh, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is not the bride of Christ. Amen. And when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2, the Bible lets us know that we are a virgin betrothed to Christ. We are not yet the bride of Christ, okay? And people normally use Ephesians chapter 5. People normally use this scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. When you read Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 doesn't say the church is the bride of Christ. Paul just used marriage, you know, the, 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 the hierarchy of marriage. The husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. That's all. He never in any case explicitly said the church is the bride of Christ. However, when you read Revelation chapter 21, the Bible lets us know that one day the church will become the bride. So until now, we are not yet the bride. We are just a virgin betrothed to Christ. Okay? I mean, if, if you are living in this context, you might not understand betrothal very well, but it was a very common thing, arranged marriages. I don't think in Western world that really happens. It, it, it still happens a lot in many Asian countries. I do remember I had a friend I used to work with in England, and we're about the same age. I think at that time I was 31. I wasn't married. And he had been married for nine years. Right? He's 31, just like me. He had been married for nine years, so he married at 22. And uh, he seemed very happy in his marriage. He's always given marriage advice, marriage counsel. He, he knows a lot about marriage. So one day I asked him, what is the secret to marriage? And he gave me a very um, funny answer. He said, uh, the secret to marriage is let your parents choose for you. I said, oh, really? I, I said, why do you say that? He, he said, because when he finished college, they just told him, this is your wife. <laughs> Marry her. And he did. I said, did you know the woman? He said, no, I didn't know the woman. He said, it was an arranged marriage. I said, wow, how long was the marriage arranged? He said, it was arranged for me since I was 18. And so you've never met the woman? Said, no, never met the woman. I met the woman just once. We went on a date and we married because our parents told us to marry. So that's what it means to be betrothed. Okay, so he was in a betrothal relationship for four years and then got married. So wh when you put that into context, that's the similarity we have now. Right now, we are in the betrothal stage of our relationship with Christ. Then in Revelation chapter 21, the Bible lets us know that we will officially become the bride of Christ. And then when you read Revelation chapter 19, it even makes more sense. It talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so when we go to heaven, it's also going to be some sort of a marriage. We are the bride of Christ, but currently we are not. Amen. So the reason why I'm saying that is that when you see the word here, which was about marriage to him, it's not really talking about marriage. It's talking more about 
a sense of belonging. Belonging to Christ, living for Christ. It's Revelation chapter 19, Mary's supper of the Lamb. Then Revelation chapter 21 is where it talks about we are the bride of Christ. Amen. So if, if you are looking at the notes there, um, you can't take note of that. Amen. So for us to confidently say we live for Christ, we belong to him. It is because it is at the expense of the death of the law. And that's what Paul was explaining in Romans chapter 6. All the rest matters there. It's just to explain that we are no longer under the dominion of sin. Why? Because we are not under the law, but we are under grace. But for that to come into effect, it had to come at the expense of the death of the law. And how did the law die? The law experienced the death when Christ died on the cross by fulfilling all the pre-existing conditions so that you and I can be called the righteousness of God and we can belong to him and live for him. Do we all understand? All right. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So look at the implication there. The Bible lets us know that when we were in the flesh, we had a master. The master was the law. And because we were under the presence, under the rulership of the law, the law aroused in us to do sin. We had a desire to sin. But the Bible lets us know that now that we have been delivered from the law and we have died to the law because of Christ's death, the Bible lets us know that now it's possible to serve God in the newness of the Spirit and not of the letter. I tell you, if you really want to experience triumphant Christian living, especially over sin, it's far better. I will advocate that you will live by the Spirit's empowerment and not by laws. Amen. That's the only way you'll be free from sin. So Christ delivered us from the tutelage of the law so that we will walk in the newness of the Spirit. As Christians, we have to understand the place, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we begin to live life by the Holy Spirit, and when we live under the Holy Spirit's influence, we will be able to have a successful warfare against him. Amen. All right. Verse 7 to 12. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law. For I would have not known covetousness unless the law has said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity of the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, just and good. Now, when you read this scripture carefully, what Paul is not saying is there is weakness in the law. That's not what Paul is saying. And that's why he, then, when you read verse 12, he said, on these grounds, let me explain myself. The law is holy. The commandment is holy, is just and good. Now, because the law is holy, because the commandment is just and good, it's revealed our inferiority. It's revealed our inability to keep the law. So that's what Paul is just talking about. So Paul is in no terms downing the law or Paul is in no terms pitting the law against grace. What Paul is saying is that the, the justness, the goodness, the purity of the law 
couldn't save us from sin. It's rather produced in us a desire to sin. How? By giving us laws. You see, anytime when you give laws, there is the propensity to break it. So that's what the law came to do. So from these scriptures, what we just read, we realized that the law magnified our understanding of sin. It justified our desire to sin. Man was already sinful. That's the thing. Man was not righteous. Man was already sinful. Man was already dead in a sense. But when the law came, the law magnified. When I look at this, it's just like a magnifying glass. So the law gave us a clear magnification of what sin was in our lives. And it showed us how helpless we were. The law made sin a tempter. From, from what Apostle Paul just said. If you read verse... Verse 10 again. And the commandment which was to bring me life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion of the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, the commandment is holy and just. So, the law made sin a tempter. Because we were already dead in our trespasses and sins. So, what did the law come to do? It just came to magnify our understanding of sin and give us a desire to sin. So, for example, let me explain it this way. The law doesn't produce envy. It doesn't. Without the law and before the law, envy was already there. But what the law did was that it heightened our awareness of it and increased our desire to act. And that's what Paul is saying. And Apostle Paul, from what we just read, in his own words, he says that, the law could not justify. It, it, it gave a deception thinking it could, but it didn't, but it rather enslaved us to sin. So from what we've just looked, three things that the law came to do. It showed us God's high standard of righteousness. That's what the law came to do. It came to show us that no matter how good you are, no matter your works of righteousness, without Christ. Everything you do is dung. So that's what the law came to do. Because the law came to show us that there is nothing that you can do with human effort without Christ that will ever appease God and that will incur his good pleasure. So that's one thing that we have to know. Secondly, the law also showed us how sinful we are. And when we continue to read Romans chapter 7, Paul calls it wretched. It shows us how wretched we are. It shows the state of wretchedness man really was in. It showed us that you can't serve God with human efforts. You can't serve God just because you have some law keeping. You will need a mediator that will be able to make you have good graces and stand in the good books of God. And then you also need an empowerment that will help you to live this Christian life fully to incur the good pleasure of God. So that's also one of the things that the law taught us. And the law also made us know we needed a savior. Now for us to really understand what Apostle Paul is saying, let's turn to one of his letters and let's read about the purpose of the law in Galatians chapter 2. So open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. I want us to look at the purpose of the law to tie it into Romans chapter 7. Galatians chapter 3, I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 3. Now I'm going to read from verse 19 and I won't stop until verse 25. So I read, what purpose then does the law serve? So Paul talked a little bit about it in Romans chapter 7. But when we read Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 to 25, it throws more light on Romans chapter 7. It was added because of transgressions till the seed, capital S. So the seed here is talking about Christ. So why was the law in existence? 
the law came into existence because of transgressions until Jesus, who is known as the seed, will come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So, why was the law given? The law was given because of transgressions. It was given so that it will magnify our understanding of sin. It will heighten our awareness of sin until the seed who is Christ, not just seed, small s, the seed, capital S, who is Jesus Christ, will come and become a mediator between us and God so that we can be in the good graces of God. Let's read on. Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So Apostle Paul is now saying that the law which was supposed to give righteousness didn't bring righteousness. It rather brought death. And Paul was saying that if the law could have given righteousness, there would have been no need for the Savior to come and mediate. Do you understand? So the law didn't bring righteousness. The law rather confined us to death. The law rather made us know that our efforts without Christ as our mediator between us and God is not good enough. Verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So you see, the reason why Christ had to come was he had to come and fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law so that we could be justified. And how are we justified? Not by keeping the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the Savior and he is our Lord. That is how we become justified. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. So, Apostle Paul didn't say this in Romans chapter 7. In chapter, in, in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul now gave an addendum of the law. The law is a tutor that brought us to Christ. And how did the law tutor us to Christ? It tutor us to Christ to let us know that we cannot be justified. It tutor us to make us know that we are helpless. It tutor us to make us know that we are under the dominion of sin. And we will need a savior to take us out of our wretched states. That is how it introduced us to Christ. And that's why the law is good in a sense. The law is good in a sense not because it makes us righteous. It's good in a sense that it introduces us to a savior when we come to the end of ourselves. Amen. Because sometimes that is the only way you will know that I need a savior, I need deliverance. When you come to the end of yourself, when you have exhausted all human options and you have come to the end of yourself and you have come to the height of wretchedness, that is when you will know that indeed I need a savior. Therefore, the law is our teacher to bring us to Christ, verse 24, that we might be justified by faith. So the law tutored us to Christ who will be our mediator so that we can be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And that's what Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, that the law is dead because Christ laid down his body to pay the righteous requirements of the law so that you and I will live for him and belong to him. Do you understand? So now let's look at verse 13 to 25. Are we understanding Romans chapter 7 so far? Thumbs up. Okay, lessons. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? 
Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandments might become exceedingly sinful. So Paul is asking a question that the law, which I said it was good, has it now become death to me? And he said, certainly not. All right. The law in this context. Who can explain what the law in this context is? Because I think I did explain it. What is the law in this context? Anybody can talk. Because someone asked, could you review the law in this context? So I want to know, what is the law in this context? Oh, nobody? In your own understanding, and what you've heard so far, what is the law? So I missed, missed a portion of it because my time was unstable, but I heard you say the law was a duty to bring us to, uh, to bring us to Christ. Okay, so that's good. You are talking about the function. So what entails the law? So my understanding of uh, what the law is, is um, what we find in Deuteronomy, what Moses gave the people, um, and then obviously what's included in the Ten Commandments. All right, so that's the law. So the law is technically from Exodus to the end of Deuteronomy. Everything there is the law. Amen. So that's what we are talking about. So the Bible lets us know that if you want to be called the righteousness of God, which means you are justified, you don't do it by keeping the law. You do it by believing in Jesus Christ who has died on the cross to satisfy the righteous requirements of the law so that you and I can experience the gift of righteousness. Nobody has been justified by the law. That's the reason why Christ had to die. So when we are talking about the law, that's what the law is. Amen. And now when we look at what Apostle Paul is saying here, he's saying that the law is good, it's holy, but the weakness of the law is that it produced a desire in man for him to sin. And that's what Apostle Paul is talking about in verse 13. But sin, that in my appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandments might become exceedingly sinful. So the, the commandments of the law didn't deliver you from sin. It just told you, do not sin. And then it just leaves you hanging. Whatever sin, envy, murder, adultery, it just tells you about it and leaves you hanging. And Paul saying in his attempt to obey the righteous requirements of the law, it rather produced more sin. You know why? Because man without Christ can never become righteous. Man without Christ can never earn brownie points with God. The only way we are able to score brownie points with God is when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior who has paid for the sins of the world and we become righteous. So that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, from verse 15 to verse 21, particularly, Paul talks about himself in the second person, right? So I I really want us to pay attention of some keywords. But before we understand this, let's talk a bit about the spirit, the soul, and the body. Because that's what we are about to experience now from verse 14, verse 15, I'm sorry, to verse 21. 
Man is a tripartite. Man is made of three things, okay? Man is a spirit with a soul and lives in a body. So man doesn't have a spirit. Man is a spirit. The nature of man is spiritual. Man is a spirit with a soul and lives in a body. So now let's define this. What is the spirit? The spirit is the breath of man. So you see that I'm talking to you today. You are also talking to me. You are here. The reason why you are all engaged is because you have spirit. That's breath. That's life. That is what was created in the image of God. So when the Bible says that we were created in the image of God, it's not talking about your outer shell. It's talking about the spirit man of you. That was what was created in the image of God. That's why when you read John chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible lets us know that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So that is you. Then you have your soul. You have a soul. You are not a soul. You are a spirit with a soul. What is the soul? The soul is made up of your mind, your will, your emotions. That is the part of you that thinks, chooses, and decides, and, and also feels. That is the part of you that derives your personality. So that is the soul. And then what is the body? The body is this outer skin of flesh. This palm of flesh on us is what is called the body. So we have to understand that. So when we are talking about salvation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I think Pastor Robert quoted this scripture not long ago on, in, in one of his uh, sermons. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. You see, for you to understand how salvation works, you have to understand the makeup of man. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. All things have become new. So we've realized that man is a tripartite, Right? He's made up of three parts. Man is a spirit with a soul, lives in a body. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when the Bible is saying that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Of the three, which became new? It's not our, our body. Because anyone that confesses Christ as his Lord and personal Savior doesn't receive a new body. So it's not our body. Number two, it's also not our soul. The, your desires, how you think, how you feel, choices you make, that does not necessarily change. So the part of us that becomes new is our spirit. Our spirit becomes recreated in the image of God. So when the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, all things have passed away, it's talking about your spirit. Your spirit has become new. Your spirit has become alive unto God. You see, when you were, a, when you were not a Christian, your spirit was just known as breath. Okay, your spirit was not connected to God. Your spirit was dead to the things of God. But when you become a Christian, your spirit becomes more than breath. Your spirit now becomes that part which is alive to God, which communicates with God, which has a sense of godliness. That is what has become new. Now, our soul is not new. So when you become, and, and our body will only be redeemed at the end of this age. The Bible lets us know that our body will experience the resurrection where this mortal body and this corrupt body. So this body is mortal, is corrupt. The Bible says that it will drop and then we will have new bodies. That is a future thing. So our body is something that will happen in the future. Alright, so we have this body. But when you become a Christian, what you are working on is the soul. Which, is, which comprises of your mind, 
your will and your emotions so until we experience the redemption of our body all that we are doing on earth is to make our soul agree with our born again spirit so the soul is fighting either to agree with your born again spirit which is perfect which is new or to walk in concord with the flesh this is the fight this is the fight that from the pope to the new convert is fighting until jesus will come your soul the body wants your soul the spirit wants your soul okay so how do you make your soul work in alignment with your born again spirits by renewing your mind and that's how you read revelation i'm sorry romans chapter 12 the verse 2 it says and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will know that which is good perfect and acceptable in the sight of god so and it's very possible that your spirit being is new, but your soul might not be transformed. Your soul might be conformed. And the only reason by which we can stop the force of conformity and experience transformation is by renewing this mind. So when we take the Bible to read, that is one of the surest ways by which we renew our mind. And when we renew our mind, our mind now begins to align with our born-again spirits. And when our mind begins to realign with our born-again spirits, the flesh will not have dominion over your soul. So this is the fight. So when you become a Christian, Father, I receive you into my life as my Lord and personal Savior. Mind you, it's the spirit that is saved. The soul, you will have to work on the soul with the agency of the word. And the body, it awaits future redemption. And the redemption of the body, the Bible has talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It will be at the end of the age. So all that we are presently doing after your spirit has become born again is to renew your mind so that when your mind becomes renewed you can experience transformation so the difference between a matured christian or a godly christian and an infant christian or a carnal christian is just one has paid the price of renewing his mind with the word of God. And by renewing his mind with the word of God, he is experiencing transformation. Now, it's very important for me to say this because when we read verses 15 to 21, we will see a battle here. Amen. So now let's read verses 15 to 21 of Romans chapter 7. For what am I doing? I do not understand what i will to do that i do not practice but what i hate that i do so underline or circle the word i the i here is referring to the soul okay so there is a battle the i here is referring to the soul all right if then i do what i will not to do I agree with the Lord that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. In me is talking about the flesh. So Paul is saying that there is a battle between the soul and the flesh. And that's the battle that we will continue to fight. The spirit is perfect. The spirit is new. The spirit is created in the image of God. But now there is a battle between the soul and the flesh and that is the battle that every christian sitting here is fighting the reason why some people sin is because of this battle it is the battle of the soul the soul which is the seat of your mind your will your emotions is battling your flesh and mind you the bible lets us know that this flesh is corrupt 
this flesh is mortal. Why? Because there is sin in this body. That's why we can't take this body to heaven. God has to change this body for us to be in his presence. So when you become a Christian, your fight is strongly against the flesh. Who is going to have the supremacy? So Paul is talking about, even though he has become a Christian, what he doesn't want to do, that is what he does. Why? Because it's a battle of the soul and the body. Do you understand? Verse 17. But it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's why it's important to renew your mind. Because when you don't renew your mind, your, your, your body is always going to dominate your soul. It will take a transformed mind which comes by renewing your mind with the word of God to be able to fight off sin. Now look at it, verse 18. For I know that in me, you see, now in parenthesis is open, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. This is the battle. We all come to this place of helplessness, where it is between good and evil, between sin and righteousness. But how are you able to overcome the edges of sin that you'll be able to do what is good? First and foremost, you can't do it by human will. And that's what Paul said. He says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. So, will is not enough. Will is not enough. That's why if you are following my blog for the past two weeks, I've written on sometimes discipline is not enough. Sometimes discipline is not enough. No matter how strong-willed you are, and it's good, we have to promote the virtues of self-discipline, self-governance, and, you know, having a strong resolve to do things. It has its place. But when it comes to the area of sin, you can't dominate sin by will. You will fail. You will fail. And you will come to a place of frustration like what we are reading now. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that does me. So Paul is saying that my soul wants to do good, but it can't. But why do I do what is evil? I do what is evil because of this flesh. So when you are a Christian, your soul and your flesh will always battle. It, it's a non-stop battle. You know, there are some things that we call the finished works of Christ. When it comes to this, this is an ongoing work. You will have to submit consistently to renewing your mind with the word of God to have an upper hand over the flesh. Amen. I find then a Lord that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of the Lord according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul, so Paul is saying that my spirit man. Now, so you see, the inward man here represents the spirit. So he said that I delight the word of God according to the spirit. But at the same time, I am also fighting. I'm in a battle. There is a law in my members. There is a law in my flesh which was against my soul, the law of my mind, and it doesn't allow me to do what is good. So that explains why Christians, we struggle. So you might be a Christian, you might have the appetite of the things of the spirit because you've been created to walk in the newness of the spirit, which is spiritual, but if your soul is not renewed, you are in big trouble. It's going to be a consistent battle until the end of this age. Now, look at what Paul says. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ. I always like the ending of this because it ends on victory. That is why Paul was a strong advocate of grace. Why is Paul talking about this? The reason why Paul is talking about this is that when you decide to live under the law, you are going to consistently face this battle. And when you face this battle, you are going to lose. You have to learn how to rely on Jesus Christ who has paid the penalty of our sin. That's it. And then, the end of it, so then with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So Paul is saying that for you to be able to overcome sin, you will have to renew your mind, which will help you to serve God in true holiness. So that is how we become free from sin. We become free from sin when we are not under the law. When we are under the law, we are under the reign of sin. And when we are under the reign of sin, we are going to be in a never-ending battle between the soul and the flesh. But for us to experience true freedom, we have to know that Jesus Christ has become the final payment for our sin. That we can truly walk in freedom. We can truly walk in liberty. We can truly walk in deliverance. Serving God. Now, when you read chapter 8, chapter 8 talks about the rule of the Holy Spirit. So for us to really deal with sin, understand who Jesus is in your life. Understand what Jesus has done at the expense of laying down his body so that you and I will not have to live a sin-filled life. We have to understand that. And then, we also have to renew our mind with the word of God. And then chapter 8, we have to also understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. So next week, we are going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because when it comes to living this Christian life, that we will incur God's good pleasure. It is not will. Okay, there is a place for will, but it is empowerment. You have to experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And next week we are going to dwell more into that because I think when it comes to living a Christian life, we have to talk more about the Holy Spirit who gives us the empowerment to live an acceptable life before God. But mind you, it will not just be hope on the part of the Holy Spirit it will also be hope on your part to renew your mind with the word of God where you will experience transformation. And when a Christian comes to a place of transformation, sin will lose grip over his life. Amen. So thank God that we have been delivered from the net of sin. And how are we delivered from the net of sin? We are no longer under the law. And that's why Paul is a strong advocate that if we want to live this Christian life free of sin, we have to be dead to the law because Christ has died that we can belong to him as in marriage. Amen. I'm done for tonight. Any questions? It's it's 8 o'clock, but I'll take as many questions as you have. Amen. Because sometimes teaching this can be a mouthful. So... I have a question about next week. Okay. What is what you gonna read in the Bible for next week? Can you post it like that we can look through in the Bible before we come into the into the Bible started on Wednesday? Uh I'll read Romans chapter eight. Okay. And Romans chapter eight talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay. It's only about sixteen books in Romans, right? Or fifteen? Um sixteen I think. Sixteen, yeah. Right, yes. so you're gonna do eight, right? Yeah, I'm gonna do chapter eight next week. God okay, willing, from, from, from verse one, yes, from verse one. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Do you understand today's teaching? Yeah, now I do when Jessica says about the, the, the commandments. Okay, all right, okay. Because I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't reading the Bible. So 
because you give the numbers that about the Bible is too quick, so I couldn't write it down for me to read the Bible. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, come again. Mom, come again. It's for me a driver, I believe so. I'm done with you. I'm finished the question. Thank you. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Pastor Robert? Yeah, I have a question. I can't hear you at all. Oh, sorry. I was gonna uh, maybe contribute or ask a question. Okay. So a lot of people read this Romans chapter seven that we just read, and then Paul was talking about the wretchedness of his whatever he wants to do, he doesn't. He's not able to do that, and that is the things that he doesn't want to do that he does. A lot of people read this to um, use it as an excuse as hard how miserable we are when it comes to sin. They don't pay attention to the conclusion that already whatever the situation. And so um, the wretchedness that Paul was describing, was he just talking about how, I mean, his personal experience, what he is experiencing or he was talking about um, the, the life of a sinful person, how the sinful person um, struggles with sin. Or how a sinner, somebody who has not accepted Jesus Christ, struggles with sin. That's a very good question. You know, there are, two, there are two things when you read the Bible you have to understand. Contextual truth and then universal application. There are, there are some things, it's only true in the context. But when you lift it out of its context, it ceases not to be true. This is not one of the scriptures. Paul is talking about this contextually. He's talking about his wretchedness had not been able to do the right thing, even though he has the edge to do the right thing. But if you leave this scripture out of context, it has a universal application. Anybody who has an edge to do good, but struggles to do that, and that's the opposite of that, you are living in a wretched state. So in as much as Paul was talking about his personal life, it's also a universal application to the person who decides to live under the law that Christ has delivered us from. You are living a wretched life. So it, it, it's true in both ways. Amen. Thank you. Welcome. So we comparing this to Paul's um, um, talking about himself when he said regarding the righteousness that comes from the law, I was blameless. Comparing this to that scripture, uh, how do you how do we reconcile the two? Always talking about his uh, righteousness from the law as well. I think it was in Corinthians. Yeah. Um, Paul, Paul was talking about this more as a Pharisee. He wasn't talking about this in true holiness. Because during the Pharisees, how, how, how do you know um, you are blameless? You know you are blameless because you are able to fulfill the commandments of the law. But when you fulfill the commandments of the law, you are also not righteous. When you fulfill the commandments of the law, you didn't have power to stop sin. So what Paul was saying was just talking in the language of the Pharisees, quote-unquote, in the language of the Pharisees. It didn't mean that he was truly blameless. What it meant is that he played this role as a Pharisee that as a command, I was blameless in the commandment of the law, meaning I tried to fulfill all the traditional requirements of the law, but he wasn't righteous. Do you understand? Yes, yes, I am. Okay. So do you understand today's teaching? I want to know whether it's clear. Um, yes, it is clear. I, but I, I would like to 
Yeah, uh, say, say what you want to say. I'm really, really here. No, I'm saying that I would like to listen to the parts that I missed. Okay. All right, sure. No problem. Okay. All right, Shaquana and Mama Geraldine, do you understand everything we said today? Yes, I understood it, and it, very, it was very good. I understood exactly what you said. Okay. It's a little scary, though. Okay. <laughs> what was the scary part? <laughs> it, 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 was, it was kind of scary, you know. Um, I don't really know What was the scary part? I hope I can get. I hope I can get it right, cause I, I was thinking, listening, listening, listening. But you know when you were saying about uh, how we got. I, I'm gonna try to. I explain the best I can. Yeah, just explain it in your own words. That's fine. How we supposed to uh, live? Uh, live that you know, live right. And I'm not. I know I'm not perfect. And that was the scary part about it, you know? Mm. Just how you explained it from the Bible. Uh, it was kind of scary to me. Oh, okay. I'm not going I'm not going to joke with you. It was a little, a little scary, but I know it's the truth. Oh, okay. Alright. I know you're telling the truth. Okay. So I, I understand that the scary part that you are talking about. The scary part is no matter what you do, it will never amount to a good work in front of god outside christ so for you to take the fear out just rely on christ that's all rely on christ christ is the end of the righteousness of the law when christ died he paid for all the righteous requirements of the law so you and i are righteous because we believe that's it when you understand that you begin to enjoy Christianity and understand the liberating power of Christianity. Howbeit, the fact that Christ has also paid for our salvation, it also doesn't mean we don't have to work on our soul by renewing our mind. So, as Christians, what we will have to do is just renew our mind with the word of God so that the flesh will not have control over us. Do you understand? I understand. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. So take the fear of perfection. Christ, that's why Christ died. So that we are perfect. Nobody is perfect. We are not called to live a flawless, perfect life. That's not Christianity. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect by any stretch of imagination. But what God wants us to come to is to yield ourselves to Him, rely on the Holy Spirit. So that we will come to a place of sanctification. And sanctification is an everyday work. We never stop sanctifying ourselves until Jesus comes. So if you are able to understand it like that, 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 that will help. Understand that because of Christ, I'm righteous. And what I am supposed to do, my part is to read the word of God, to renew my mind so that by renewing my mind, I can truly experience transformation okay all right i understand yeah so so take the part of i have to be perfect and understand that christ has made you perfect by his death that's it and then when we all sin when you sin just confess it and keep on moving on what i'm teaching doesn't mean we will not make mistakes we will all make mistakes we will all blow it but your response it's what God is impressed with. Whether you are truly matured, you understand the doctrine of righteousness, or you are allowed the devil to condemn you. You understand? So next week, next week will really help. I think when we do next week, it should take away that fear. We have to rely on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and not on our strength if we truly want to live a life pleasing unto God. Amen. So I hope I have addressed your fear. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, I'll take one more last question or contribution, then we will close.
I know today was a mouthful, so I'm like, let me just open the floor so that, you know, let, let, let people talk. And if it's understood, then my job is done. Amen. I think we are good. All right. Okay. Why don't we thank God then? Why don't we thank God? Uh, Christ laid down his body so that we will be free from the law. And once we are free from the law, we are free from the reign of sin. Today, I can say I am not under the law. And I am free from the dominion and the reign of sin. Do you know why? Because someone laid down his body. Let's thank God for that. It came at a huge price. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We want to thank you for today, Lord. As we've learned your scriptures, we have learned that you laid down your body. For us to walk as Christians in liberty and in the delivering power of your spirit, it came at a price. It came at the expense of your body. For this reason, I want to say thank you. And Father, if any of us are struggling with any addiction, I pray that as this word is being ministered forth, may all of us experience our freedom, our deliverance. And may every hold of the devil over us break in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the liberating power of your spirits that we have experienced tonight through the teaching of your word. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you all for attending. Uh, listen to the message again. I'm sure that when you listen, God is really going to speak to you through this message. Okay, thank you. God bless you. Good night. Love you guys. Bye, good night. All right. Bye, good night. Good night, bye.